Hello and welcome to Brain Trust Live number 438. This week on the podcast, the West Wing Fight, brought to you by Overstock.com. And the next January 6th hearings are prime time, which means speculation, drama, and the most prime time of gossiping. Plus, John Bolton, the mustache, the weasel, the man, is the master of the cell phone. And Joe Biden checks in with his fraternity bros in Saudi Arabia. Plus, we're going to lose Congress for literally no reason whatsoever. And Joe Manchin and the truth, a Trumpian tale. We'll have all this and more. This is Brain Trust Live. Hey, y'all, I'm Brent. I'm Lila, and you can find us on the web at www.braintrustlive.com. Didn't giggle that time. I know, you nailed it. I'm getting it. better. Yeah. I'm getting better because I was like, do not look at him. Oh, when- <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna start trying to throw in more folksy things I, just to see what I mean, happens. I'm excited to see how this goes. <laughs> I, yeah. I feel like if you came up with a new folksy way to say, hey, guys, <laughs> at the beginning of the podcast, I would... I would be delighted to start the podcast on a high note. Sure. Okay. All right. Um, well, I'll think on it. So, you know, that's, I'm sure there's folksy things that I have haven't even heard of that you could be For adding sure. in there. Yeah. Um, listen, guys, it's, I know we say this every week, but we're serious this time. <laughs> LA is about to reinstate its mask mandate because that's how much COVID is out there. Yeah. We're waiting until the 29th. Who knows? Because we, we just want to let it spread freely until yeah, then. Yeah, because it has to like be in the you know metrics like for like a two full weeks. I think just and I get that to a degree, but like also just put your mask on. Like it's time. we just ran to buy pre-podcast chocolates, which we do almost weekly. Right. Up at the you got a chocolate if you're gonna podcast on the corner here, and like just do better. You guys. like if you're at Gelson's, your that store grocery store is small. You can't possibly spend longer than twenty minutes in there. Just put your mask on. We literally saw two people talking about how the mask mandate was coming back because the metrics were so bad. Unmasked, Unmasked. both of them. Just like happily coughing on each other while they told each other about how bad the COVID rates were right now. That's right. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's going on out there. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. like, listen, it doesn't take much to put a mask on in a grocery store. If you want to go and spread COVID to each other at the gym, that is, I guess, your business. But wear a mask at the grocery store. Like, don't. Don't not mask in a place that people can't not be. It's wild. I think, I was saying to Brent yesterday, I think that the through line that got lost here was the argument for masking that was about protecting other people and not about yourself. You don't hear that anymore. We started acting like masks could be protective one way, and we know that from this variant, they cannot. So if you're a person who's been sitting around thinking to yourself, you know, people can choose to protect themselves if they want to. Just know no, they can't. that you can also choose to protect them too. Yeah. You could be a good neighbor. Yeah. And you're currently probably choosing not to be because it seems like everyone's choosing not to be, including two people who were well aware that the stats were terrible <laughs> at Gelson's and we're still happily coughing on everything. So yeah. in any case, just put your mask on so that we don't have to start every podcast this way. It's I'm, exhausting. <laughs> truly. It's it, And if you need recommendations about masks, like oh, we've tried them all. I was going to say, nobody is a more of a mask uh, specialist expert than Lila Nordstrom. I mean, too true. I have tried like every single mask that is available to me. I'm trialing this week and I got a whole package of things from you. I, and, and none of them, by the way, are going to make you look that foolish. No, I mean, the glasses I probably wouldn't wear. (laughs) They're better than I thought they were going to be as you described them to me. And I would, while I would not wear those to dinner. Sure. Um, Who would? (laughs) I'm happy to wear them on a plane. I would not wear those out to dinner either, but they looked just on the edge of normal enough to wear on an airplane where you're in a tube with a zillion people that you don't know who are coughing on you. They're like fashion, like science science glasses. Well, what they are is they're for nurses 
like nurses wear them. And so they look like regular glasses, but they just have side panels. Yeah. And they're just plastic. But they have a fun clear... print, though. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. I don't know why the... they have that front print. I couldn't <laughs> tell you. They all come in packs of two on the internet. And so sure one do. pair was clear and one pair had those fun, the fun print. And I yeah. left the clear one in New York for whatever reason and wore the fun print one on the plane just to add some festivity to my life. Um, and, but you can buy them in non-festive prints as well. well but they're for nurses. They're, they're protective eyewear for nurses. They're yeah. not like perfectly sealed to your face or anything but they don't look that weird no they don't you could wear them on a plane without um arousing suspicion that you were too nervous to be on a plane <laughs> yeah so you know just do it it's just like do it. people no one has time to be coughed on these days um especially because you don't even get enough sick leave anymore to get over COVID. I know. so it's like it's don't be the reason that someone else gets sick. and also you want to be at your peak performance on thursday when the primetime hearings roll exactly around. yeah so like don't get covid this week. This week. That would be the worst time. <laughs> yeah, we have some very exciting stuff coming in the January 6th universe. Yeah. There's, so we're going to talk about last week's hearing, which was pretty glorious. So good. Um, and I'm pretty sure they changed the time of last week's hearing. It was going to be at 10 a.m. Eastern, and they changed it to 1 p.m. Eastern, I think because it got to be so bombastic. That yeah, they, were they wanted like, more people to see it. People on the West Coast will want to see this. Yeah. The next hearing, though, is on is this Thursday, and it's going to be a primetime yeah, hearing. Yeah, 5 p.m. West Coast. I West mean, Coast. 8, 8, 8 p.m. Yeah. East Coast. It is our first primetime hearing aside from Since the very the first one. Yeah. And I think that means they're probably angling for some bombastity. Oh, I think so, too. <laughs> We're going to get to some speculation on what that might be in a second. We're going to yes. fill you on on this, this for, past yes. week's first, though. Guys, so much good gossip. So here's what happened. So we finally got to see some of Patsy Bologna's testimony. We know that he te that he spent like 11 hours or something with the committee the yeah. week before. We hadn't seen any of it. We wanted to, and he verified a lot of what some of the previous witnesses had yeah. said. Uh -huh. But he was one of the higher level people to verify a lot of that information. Yeah. We got to see snippets of his testimony this week. And then we also got to see, so there were members, former members of the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, mm -hmm. somebody, somebody who had been a former Oath Keeper, um, and then uh, one of the people who had actually breached the Capitol on January 6th yeah. and then was like, what the fuck, you guys? Why did you pull me into this? <laughs> yeah. um, we also got a collection of, you know, other snippets from past testimony, thing, people that we had seen already and then a few people that we had not seen. And then a, a few hilarious uh, clips of Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, both of whom were doing <laughs> their best product placement. Giuliani had put his book perfectly behind him. Yeah. Uh, Sidney Powell was drinking, drinking Diet Dr. Diet Pepper, Dr. Pepper <laughs> like a lunatic. <laughs> what? Who? Between she and Rudy Giuliani drinking Diet Dr. Dr. Diet... Dr. Pepper. Diet Pepsi. Diet, right, Diet... <laughs> yeah, they're... <laughs> well, he can't oh, even man. say it. Like, first of all, the only diet soda that people drink is Diet Coke. So just know that to yourself. Yeah. It's like, that's what we're drinking as a society. And sorry that that's also gross. It's like, <laughs> life goes on. But like, you can't then, within that universe, decide that you're going to be a Diet Pepsi or Diet Dr. Dr. Pepper, Pepper drinker. Person. That's not... No. That's insane behavior. Yeah. And the fact that she would do that on an, on a taped deposition. Like, once you're going to do that, just really throw all caution to the wind and drink Diet Mountain Dew, guys. Yes. I mean, at that point, you basically are. You just Diet Dr. Pepper is Diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> Dr. Pepper is just a caffeinated beverage. It doesn't... Like, no one is drinking Dr. Pepper out there except for people who want to have Mountain Dew levels of caffeine. <laughs> so, like, it's... Anyway. <sighs> it was a perfect example of how unacceptable these people are. <laughs> exactly. And the committee told the story in an order that was, you know, meant to provide high drama. But we're going to tell it in chronological order because I think that because of the way the story got told in the hearing, it was a good story. 
But um, some of the details of how this all mounted were hard to kind of put together the way that the story was constructed by the committee. Uh, And part of it was also that I just like hate listening to Stephanie Murphy because she annoys me. Jamie Raskin did do some of the... uh, did did have a part of the hearing last week and that I always appreciate when he's involved. Sure. Because Jamie Raskin knows how to get in there with crazy hair and just he like has really father's hair. He has founding father's <laughs> hair. He he's committed to that bit and he yep. is going to, you know, he's going to he's going to continue committing yeah, to it. Yeah, he's a man who's seen himself on television, presumably. I correct. <laughs> I, he's a he's a man who has to look at himself in the mirror when he uses the bathroom every time. So yeah. like he's a, he knows his hair is founding father's hair and he's just going with it. Yeah. Um but in any case Stephanie Murray, not our favorite Democratic congressperson. No. Not one I mean, of the, the reason, One of the reasons, one of the large reasons we don't have any sort of Democratic agenda passed right now is because of the likes of Stephanie Murphy. Correct. So keep that in your head as you but watch these. this is a wild time because, I mean, we're, we're having to, Liz Cheney's doing a good job. I know. And Stephanie Murphy did a decent job. I just am, in the same way that I'm annoyed with Liz Cheney, I'm just like yeah, annoyed yeah, with right, her. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm waiting for some more non-annoying people. So far, Jamie Raskin's the only person I have found (laughs) annoying in this hearing. I find Adam Kinzinger also annoying. Sure. But just the fact that I am this riveted with the most annoying people on earth narrating it is a sign that things are going well. (laughs) Um, So here's, here's what we have. So on December 18th, our story begins. And it begins with a, an attempt at a meeting, uh, to debunk some of the, where where some of Trump's staff tries to debunk some of uh, the rest of Trump's staff's uh, conspiracy theories about what happened with the election. (laughs) There were six people in the Oval Office. It sounds hilarious because it almost turned into a fist fight. It was like a screaming match. Yeah. And it was just total chaos because Trump allies got into like this brawl over their conspiracy theories and whether they were true. (laughs) And also one of them was the former CEO of Overstock. (laughs) Why was he in there? There are so many funny CEOs that show up in Trump world that I'm always like, Patrick Byrne, Overstock CEO. I'm not the only person who wondered who he was because in Patsy Baloney's testimony, he says that he walked into that meeting and looked at that guy and was like, who the fuck are you? So in any case, so Eric Hirschman, the White House lawyer, told the committee that the meeting got to the point where people were just like balls out screaming. Is he the one who has the um, baseball bat hanging behind him? I believe so. Doesn't it say like truth or freedom or something yes, ridiculous he, on he it? Had like some that? Of, he also had a great set piece. In yeah, his. but he also he's the one who's like seems to be like always laughing about how crazy everything is, right? Yes. Isn't that him? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure oh, that I that's, like that guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's probably no, he's a, a nightmare person, but yeah, yeah. no. It's, um, but so in any case, um, as told by Patsy Baloney, he was like, I don't think any of these people were giving the president good advice. Sidney Powell was there. Rudy Giuliani was there. I believe that Mark Meadows had to walk Rudy Giuliani out because he wanted to make sure he left the premises. Because I think, that wasn't that the meeting where oh, yeah. Sidney Powell like tried to follow him into the, they followed him into the, they followed Trump into the residence to try yeah. to like get the oh, last right. The, word. Right, the, the meeting room in the residence. Yeah. They call it. What's, what's it called? Like the, the yellow, yellow oval? oval? I can't keep track of all these rooms we've had to learn in the White House too, on top of everything else. But in any case, um, they, this was where they hashed out all of, where they, and, and because of this, they know that Trump knew that these things oh, were illegal because he had been told that. I mean, this is like Mike Flynn had been out there trying to say they should impose martial law. Like <laughs> right. Sidney Powell had all, and they, you know, they had their crazy uh, executive order they were going to do to give them access to voting machines to quote yeah. unquote inspect them. Like Patsy was annoyed about all this. Yeah. He said, I don't think any of these people were providing the president with good advice. So I did not understand how they had gotten in, <laughs> which is like the nicest way to I say mean, like these people are too crazy to exactly exist in the world but i mean that was really in this hearing where patsy baloney's testimony i think 
was most effective is he basically continually confirms that Trump had been alerted that all of these were dumb ideas yeah. and that they were not legal. Yeah. Um, and also, Patsy said that he was told by Mark Meadows in November that Trump would totally, he would make a graceful departure, he would totally step <laughs> down, he would definitely agree to, uh, to concede. Um, and, you know, that in the process of all of that, Patsy had been out there being like, these proposals are dumb, though, oh, right? right? Exactly. Like, he had been promised that every that Trump was going to do the right thing. Also, at end. this point, they'd lost like sixty of sixty-one, uh, you know, lawsuits that they had filed. <laughs> so it's like they were the signs were there. The signs were there. <laughs> so in any case, so that's a meeting on December, the night of December eighteenth. So obviously, on December nineteenth, Trump decided to tweet about a big a protest that was going to occur on January sixth. Now, what's interesting about what we learned in this hearing was that a lot of the groups, the Stop the Steal kind of groups had had protests planned for later in the month. Yeah. But they were, I think, knowing that this was insane, planning them for like Inauguration Day-ish. Yeah. They were not planned for this early and they were not planned to coincide with the, 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 count. the count. Right. So they all moved their protest dates up. So Trump tweets, big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there. We'll be wild. Mm -hmm. And in response to that, these groups all move their protest date up to January 6th. They file for permits. Somebody gets the um, URL wildprotest.com, which I can't believe we let the right have that URL. We are such fucking assholes for not on the left getting wildprotest.com before they could get to it. In any case, um, there's also the committee found a draft tweet because, of course, the National Archives also has all of Trump's draft tweets. And yep. the draft tweet said... Um, called for a march on the Capitol. It said, I will be making a big speech at 10 a.m. on January 6th at the Ellipses. Please arrive early. Massive crowds expected. March to Capitol afterward. Stop the steal. Yep. So this tweet, which was not actually sent, um, did have a stamp that said president, president has seen. seen. Yep. I think that basically some of his staffers, as we learned, got to it before that before he could, um, before he could <laughs> implicate himself in the uh, <laughs> right. march on the Capitol because... In addition to the committee showing that text message, it obtained some things from rally organizers, um, including Mike Lindell, that made sure. clear that everyone in the organizing community knew that Trump intended this to turn into a march on the Capitol. Yeah. So there was um, one from Kylie Jane Kremer who is um, that was sent to Mike Lindell. Um, that she that's a organizer from yes. uh, from one of the marches. Um, that said uh, that the president would be doing a surprise call for everyone to march to the Capitol. It said, I, um, it can also not get out about the march because I will be in trouble with the National Park Service and all the agencies, but POTUS is going to just call for it unexpectedly. <laughs> um, so everybody knew about everybody it. It wasn't knows. a surprise. Katrina Pearson, who was also one of the organizers um, and had been a spokesperson for the Trump administration in the past, uh, wrote in an email on January 2nd, 2nd, POTUS expectations are to have something intimate at the ellipse and call for uh, everyone to march to the Capitol. Mm -hmm. So all of the organizers know about this march to the Capitol. They know that the president is planning to call for it. And that means that they're all in cahoots. Because how would they know yeah. based on an unsent tweet? Yep. Um, so in any case, so, we, so that's on the 19th. Then there is a meeting on December 21st with a congressional delegation of uh, all GOP, obviously. Um, exactly. And so there are 10 Republican members slash members-elect who discuss the plans for January 6th. This is all in the White House logs. Right. This um, is like the Matt Gates of the world. Like, yeah. These then, are the people that sought pardons. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who had not even been sworn. She was being right. not she's, even sworn She's the she, elect She was the there. elect at that point. And then the, the, the Gomerts. The, yeah. The, uh, the usuals, what's his face? The, Perry. Uh, the, you know, yeah. the usual suspects. Yeah. Um, the thing that I think this, this makes clear 
that, you know, we know that these people sought pardons after the fact. Right. And we had all wondered why. Not because we didn't know that they had been involved, but we had wondered how they had been involved. Yeah. And this is evidence that they, they were involved in the planning of it. <laughs> yeah. So the reason they were seeking pardons is because they had liability here. Yeah. And not just because they were like, my name is in the news associated with this terrible <laughs> right, thing. Right. So exactly. in any case, this meeting happens a few days before Trump tells the Justice Department that he wants them to publicly announce that the election is illegitimate and, quote, leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman. <laughs> uh-huh. um, we also learned, though, that Debbie Lesko, who is a GOP Congress member but from Arizona, uh, said on January 6th that congressional leadership needed to come up with a safety plan. January 5th. For a member. Uh, January day, 5th, the day sorry, the day before. Right, uh, she was worried. She was worried. They'd heard. She was, was worried because she'd heard what was going to happen. This was audio that was uncovered by those New York Times reporters who held it for their book. Remember, mm, that was a big controversy. I do. In any case, but she literally says, I am actually very concerned about this because we have um, because we have who knows how many hundreds of thousands of people coming here. We have Antifa. We also <laughs> sure. have, quite honestly, Trump supporters who actually believe that they are going to overturn the election. And when that doesn't happen, most likely will not happen, they're going to go nuts. She says this. There is audio recording of her saying this on January 5th. Yep. This is the Republican Congresswoman right. and asking for there to be a security plan for members. Right. So well, everyone knows what's going on. Yeah, I was going to say, well, this is why, you know, there were those reports after um, the fact about that one congressman who's now I can't remember, but he had bear spray. Yeah, right. Right, <laughs> right the bear spray. This is how this is, this is how we knew to get that. This is how we knew to get bear spray, right? Yeah. Because they all fucking knew. Exactly. So the entire GOP, this is like an open secret in the GOP. Yeah. They all know that something terrible is going to happen on the 6th. They know that the president is out of line. They know he lost the election. Yeah. And no one is doing anything about it. Right. Um, in any case, so that is the timeline that gets laid out at the hearing. Yeah. Now, there um, were also Brad Parscale's, or Parscale. Oh, Parscale. Is it Parscale? Parscale? Par- I can never. I think so. Par- I, I think it's Parscale. It's so hard because it looks like or it should Par-Scal. be Pascal, and it never is. Yeah. It's never been or Pascal maybe it once. Is. I don't know. It's, it's definitely Par-Scal. not Parscale. No, but it's Parscale, I think. There's yeah. an R in it, is what I know. Yes. <laughs> anyway, he's the cam- former campaign former manager. Former campaign manager. Uh, we talked about him all the time, and we I tried know. not to say his name every time that we talked about him in the past, and we're continuing yeah. that. Um, in any case, he sent uh, a series of messages messages to Katrina Pearson, one of the January 6th organizers, but also the former spokesperson, um, saying, this is um, after the fact, saying that he felt bad for, or felt guilty for helping Trump win, and that he yep. felt responsible for a person dying, we assume Ashley Babbitt. Right, and he said it was because of Trump's rhetoric, and whoever he was texting, wasn't it Katrina? Yeah, it was What's Katrina Pearson. Right, Katrina yeah, yeah. Pearson said it's not because of Trump's rhetoric, and I think his response was like, Katrina. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So we also know that there are people inside of Trump world who are, after January 6th, <clears throat> like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. Um, and uh, then we heard from two in-person witnesses one is the former national spokesperson for the Oath Keepers. He left in 2016, but he had a lot to say about how he got involved in the group and what the group's mission was. And he was very clear from the word go. He was good. This is a violent militia. Yeah. You know, they might not call themselves that. They don't like to use that word. But what this is is a violent militia. Once they were involved, the the plan was violence. Yeah. He's, and he said that they've been essentially been looking for an opportunity yeah. for something like this. For this kind of political violence. Yeah. So that's the the first witness, Jason Van Tattenhove. And then yeah. there's Stephen Ayers, who was one of the Capitol rioters. Right. He breached the building on January who not, 6th. Who is not at least an active member of any of those no, specific No, he was groups, somebody he, who got riled up by Facebook news, essentially, yep. showed up at the Ellipse thinking it was just a thing, heard they were going to the Capitol, right. was like, I'll go to the Capitol, went to well, the Capitol, and then later found out that everything had been based on a lie. And I, and I think what he did so well, and look, again, probably a terrible person. <laughs> Doesn't but, matter. But, that, well, but I think that's, in, to, 
to some degree, so many of these witnesses have been, and that's why they've been good witnesses. You don't have to be a good person to know what the truth is. Correct. And, like, I think what he did so well and so clearly, and he was asked pointed questions about it, but, I mean, like, basically said that the reason that he went was because Trump said to show up. And the reason that he went to the Capitol was because Trump said, we're all going to go to the Capitol. And then additionally, which I think is important, said that the reason that he went home is because Trump said to go home. Yes. Because supposedly that's what we're going to be hearing about in this... Right, in the um, primetime. Primetime hearing is what happened between when this all happened and when he finally told people to go home. And so, really... That's the whole gag. Totally. Here, right? And this is a guy I mean, like, who has no real vested he has a vested interest in liking living in America. Oh, right. But that was all that that was his only vested interest here. He was yeah. not somebody who had a vested interest. He wasn't involved in any right. groups. He wasn't a, you know, he was just some right. guy. But like knowing somebody showed up there because he was asked to by Trump and then marched to the Capitol because they were asked to by Trump and then finally went home because they were asked to by Trump. That that's what we're doing here. Really. Trump organized I mean, <laughs> it. At that, that's, right. that's at that point. Right. Then you know that who was in charge, and it was Donald Trump. Yeah. And I think also there was another aspect to their testimony that that I thought was really effective, which is I think they gave everybody a roadmap for how to get it, how to have an off ramp from this radical thought. Totally. Because one of the things that Ayers said was he was like. I lost everything over this and I did not know I was in a sort of rabbit hole of misinformation until I got out of it. Yeah. And they asked, how did you get out of it? And he said, I got off Facebook. Yeah. He, he was somebody who at the beginning described himself as just like a regular family man. Yeah. And he was somebody who, you know, who said he had had a long career at the same employer and he was just somebody who just like minded his business and did his thing. Yeah. And that this had really concerned him. He had been, you know, sort of like a victim of misinformation and he got concerned and he went and did all of this stuff and then later found out it had all been built on a lie and he was upset about that. Yeah. And I think one thing, I've said this a lot, you know, and I think we saw this uh, after Nixon resigned which I only know because I read about it. Obviously, I'm not old enough to know what happened after Nixon resigned. <laughs> but where you kind of, you you know, you would go to a pl- you know, you'd go to a bar that was like a big sort of like Nixon stronghold and it was like no one had heard of the man. You know, oh, after sure. he resigned, everyone was like, well, I never supported Richard Nixon. <laughs> who would do that? You know, like, right. and there were only a few diehards, like the Roger Stones of the world who were like, sure. he's innocent or whatever. But like, everyone else was just like, oh, I've never, I've never heard of him. Right. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you have a sort of like, when, when you undergo mass psychosis this way, when you have people yeah. that are swept into a mass conspiracy, you, it's not that you have to give them an off ramp, like there should be no uh, repercussions for the people that organized all of this. Yeah, yeah, But right. regular people are, currently their identity is invested in this being true, in the, in the election being yeah. stolen. And there are people whose identity is now invested in these mistruths. Yeah. And you have to give them a graceful way to exit so that they can just go back to minding their business and being yeah. regular members of society. And... I think they gave, these guys gave them a good roadmap. You know, they both looked like white supremacists. They, <laughs> they were like tatted did. up and they, you know, had yep. weird beards and whatnot. <laughs> but like they both kind of were able to say, I got drawn into this. I yeah. know that I got drawn into this. And then I saw that this wasn't what I really wanted to do. Yeah. This is not actually who I am. And I think that was a good example. It was a good yeah. way to tell the story so that people watching it could be like, could I maybe just pretend I wasn't this guy, yeah. you know, yeah. could I go back to minding my business? Yeah. Because we need these people to go back to just minding their fucking business, <laughs> I know. you know? Yeah, totally. And, and that's like, I think, you know, you need, you need a, a graceful off ramp 
yeah. to, to be able to do that. If you're somebody, especially if you're like somebody who this is very heavily connected to this sort of misogynistic pride that is so deeply embedded into the Trump movement. You know, yeah. you need people to have a, a way to keep their face and yeah. get out of it. And these guys, I thought, did a great job of providing a roadmap for that. Totally. So I thought that was also that they were really effective. And I, um, you know, I was skeptical. Because of how too. poorly media trained the very first witness. Well, that's what I was going to say. Also, both of them very well spoken. Very At well spoken. In, I mean, they had gotten good speak, media training. Like, that's, a good, that's what you want, really, right. from people they like that. They were very really. clear. I mean, like, they were articulate. Yeah. They were able to very clearly express what had happened without sort of defaulting into Trump world language. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they have obviously beefed up the media training, or they just happen to have good luck here, whatever happened. Yeah. I had said at the, after the very first primetime hearing, like, if this is what the witnesses are going to be like, yeah. I want nothing to do with this. Yeah. And they have, since then, the witnesses have been great. So Yeah, totally. Also, Liz Cheney, at the end, coming through with another quality yes. tease. Yes. Right? Because at the end, I had forgotten about this right. until right now, but like, she says that Trump himself has reached out to a witness. Yes that we haven't heard from and they that witness alerted the committee and that has been passed on to the Justice Department like and they've been teasing that they've been teasing the witness tampering thing but this was the first time they gave a specific account of it right she is and from Trump like a call from Trump she's killing it at the next week on the tease game I know she really is (laughs) so that's exciting the other the Liz Cheney super tease exactly (laughs) the other thing that's exciting that we learned after the hearing was over was that Mr. Former Overstock CEO himself mm. sat for an interview on Friday, yeah. an eight-hour interview. Yeah. he does. So we'll see what happens with that. But as Brent said, the next hearing is in prime time, and it's going to be about what happened in the West Wing during the time that right. the Capitol, you know, breach the was going on. The 187 minutes. And they're also really branding that, too. Yes, they've been, which is They've like, been talking a lot about the 187 minutes, and I feel like 187 minutes is going to be like, a fact that we will remember well, of the Trump presidency, it's, it's like gonna, 50 years from now, like, do you, re- like, what was Trump doing in the 187 and 100, yeah, minutes? It's and that's be, also been smart. It's going to be like the 18 well. minutes in the Nixon tapes. Totally. Which, yeah. and as my mom said, we are not yet at the reveal of the ta- the gap in the tapes in this yeah. hearing process because we are prior, we are, we are pre, a, we are pre a big drop yeah. like that. But I think similar to how that 18 minutes is remembered as a sort of integral part of the Watergate uh, yeah. experience, I think yeah. 187 minutes is going to be the, to- the, the number yeah. that we remember. I'm assuming that since they've, since we know that that's what it's going to be about, and since they've already announced that it's going to be in prime time, my, I think it's fairly safe to assume that like they have information that is going to make it seem as though he wanted that to continue. I, right, and we've we they've hinted at that already, right? right I mean, right. he didn't want, also, he didn't want to send out a tweet. He didn't want to make that video. We know it in our hearts. <laughs> we know it in our hearts, right? Yeah, exactly. But I would but, like them to say it in a way that even if your heart doesn't know it, your brain has right. to. Learn I'm it. assuming they've got texts either from him or yes. whatever that's just sort of like let them keep going or something like yeah. that. Who knows what it is? But I mean, no, like, I think they've got sure. something good about those 187 minutes. Yes, yeah, you don't put a hearing in prime time if you're not about to do a big drop. Yeah. I mean, this is television. And they keep telling us they're getting new information all yes, the time. Exactly. So. Well, and that's, I think also they, and one thing that we noticed at the end of this hearing was their, uh, their investigation is starting to overlap with the Justice Department's a bit. So in the past, the Justice Department's been caught a little flat-footed because the January 6th committee has been landing these like big fish without the Justice Department knowing about it. Like the Cassidy Hutchinson thing happened really fast. The, the, the live testimony happened, you know, overnight. 
the Justice Department had not really been on top of that yeah. piece of the conversation. And so they they were following up on things that the that the committee was dropping. Yeah. But at this point, we're now at, a, you know, we're now seeing some synergy, if you will, <laughs> right. between the Justice Department, which helped reveal some of these text messages and other, you know, communication yeah, yeah. that it was it was Justice Department filings that revealed a lot of the de- a lot of the right, um, they think they had a lot of communication. They had a, right. They had a lot of encrypted messages. Exactly. I think, that they, right. Because everything has to, to be encrypted, yeah. but it's all in the National Archives. So the Justice Department had helped reveal some of this information that we heard in this hearing. This was the first time that the information flowed in that direction. Mm-hmm. So I think we're starting to have some synergy, which is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> sure. Because I don't just want the information. I want some fucking arrests. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yes. In any case, yeah. um, that was very exciting. Then a second hilarious thing happened after the hearing. I was watching this. Which took Brent video of it on my yes. phone and sent it to you. And I was yes. like... Did this? And then it went viral. Did, did I just see this on my television? I know. I wish I would have been the first person to get that on Twitter. But, I know. You got to have more followers on We got to get our following on Twitter. Brent is often watching live when something crazy like this happens. He has sent me like multiple of these things that eventually go viral, like live from his television. So I don't understand how it is that he's not the most sought after source in Twitter politics. But in any case, John Bolton had the most hilarious self-own slash crazy right. comment. Self-own and also like self something that like he should be subpoenaed about a a self-subpoena yeah he should have self-subpoenaed himself over this in any case i think that so he's on jake tapper why no one knows don't let that mustache near your television but um he's on jake tapper and let's just do a dramatic reading of what was said yeah i don't care i'll uh i'll play bolton okay i'm the one who demands the dramatic reading (laughs) that's fine yeah, you well, have more lines. That's right. <laughs> I love having the most lines. <laughs> While nothing Donald Trump did after the election in connection with the lie about the election fraud, none of it is defensible. None of it is defensible. It's also a mistake, as some people have said, including on the committee, the commentators, that somehow this was careful, a carefully planned coup d'etat aimed at the Constitution. That's not the way Donald Trump does things. It's rambling from one half-vast idea to another, one plan that falls through and another comes up. It's not an attack on our democracy. It's Donald Trump looking out for Donald Trump. It's a once in a lifetime occurrence. I don't know that I agree with you, to be fair. With all due respect, one doesn't have to be brilliant to attempt a coup. I disagree with that. As somebody who has helped plan coup d'etat, not here, but you know, other places, (laughs) it takes a lot of work. And that's not what he did. It was just stumbling around from one idea to another. Whoops. One doesn't have whoops. to be brilliant to attempt a coup d'etat. Right. I disagree with you, but as someone who's planned them. I know. Meanwhile, Jake Tapper smiles and nods and then asks the next question. And then probably like two minutes later, presumably in his earpiece, a producer right. is like, I think John Bolton just admitted, admitted to, admitted to coups. coups. And so then he asked him about it again. And then Bolton sort of didn't really give him any new information. And then Jake Dapper was like, I think there's something that you're not telling me, sir. And he said, I think you're right. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it was too good. It was too good on so many levels. So many levels, because it was also just like the level of journalism that you would expect on CNN. Right. (laughs) From their top news guy. From their top news guy. (laughs) Right? Like, oh, John Bolton in my face just admitted to coups. And like, now I'm going to ask I'm him about some text on. message that somebody sent from Jenny. Like, I mean. But also, I love the idea that you would think to follow up the comment, one doesn't have to be brilliant to attempt a coup with right. admitting that you have attempted them. Right. Well, because he's a genius. Well, right. He thought that proved his own point. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's like, sorry, sir. Nobody thinks that <laughs> right. you're a genius. Right. You just proved my point. <laughs> Wild. It's a lot of work to plan a coup, though, you guys, turns out, according to John Bolton. It might be a lot of work for him. 
everything seems like it's a lot of work for John Bolton. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. I And I love the idea that it's preferable to them to have their main political figure that they were all working for at that time, like actually just be bumbling around looking for cooing opportunities as opposed to having this be planned. Like somehow there's more pride in them being like, no, 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 no. Donald Trump was just a complete idiot who was just doing anything. Yeah. Than being like, no, we had an idea. <laughs> We, we were capable of carrying out a plan. We're people with plans. <laughs> right. Like, oh, man. this is the quandary he, that Trump leaves you in, where you have to suddenly be like, no, 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 it's because he's an idiot. I didn't have, we didn't plan anything. He's just a complete idiot. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like, at a certain point, you have to decide that, like, going from one half-vast idea to the other is also planning a coup. Right. Just because <laughs> it's not a good plan. Just because you didn't successfully plan a coup doesn't mean you didn't plan one. No. That is planning multiple coups, it sounds like. It sounds like he was working on any idea to plan a coup that he could. Right, exactly. He was having lots of ideas. Yeah. But I mean, that's, I think, they've all wound up in this weird hole where they now look like they intentionally followed someone that they knew at the time to be an idiot. Well, because it's their only way to protect themselves. Right. I mean, he, John Bolton worked for the man. Right. It's like, he's now telling me that he spent all that time working for someone who doesn't have half, for, who only has half-formed random coup ideas. <laughs> As a man who believes himself to be brilliant because of all the coups the he's coups? planned in the past. <laughs> Oh, John Bolton. God, oh, that man. guy. Um, the also, mustache never gets that it right. guy. Yeah. The president. The president. <laughs> the current president. <laughs> this uh, went to the Middle East. Handshake debacle. What a debacle. On so many levels. We're going to take you through the whole thing. Although yeah. we're not going to talk about the Israeli portion of it. Because no, he the, was in the, Israel. He did what Democrats do in Israel. He just went on about how right. great One Israel of the people was. he shook the hand of was obviously Bibi Netanyahu. Because they're Obviously, the, they're the old, old friends. Um, but anyway, while they were in the air... Going over there, they made they Karine Jean Pierre released some statement that he was going to attempt to quote limit contact with people on the ground because of all of the COVID variants that are going around. Meanwhile, they have not told us to limit contact with people. You go ahead and spread COVID to anyone. The president is going to stop shaking hands because of fears of COVID. But feel free to cough in a grocery store anytime. So people immediately put together that like the reason was not COVID, but the reason was that they didn't want a handshake picture. With MBS in right. Saudi Arabia. The Saudi crown prince. Crown prince, right. Because he's murdering American journalists. Correct. Yeah. So now Biden being Biden, we've seen this before, right? We've seen what Joe Biden does in a room or in public. Right? It's hug everyone. But I was going to say, it's not a man who is going to be able to remember, especially at his age and his level of life experience, r- life experience <laughs> to remember to not shake hands with people. No. So it was a wild... A mixture of fist bumping and handshaking and hugging and grabbing and getting right in people's faces. The you know right. old people in Israel who were at the you know whatever event that he was at who looked like they were like you know hundreds of years old that he's like you know screaming in the face right. of like Just while like he coughing on shakes it. them yeah. and whatever doing the thing that he does yeah. right? right probably touching a lot of hair inappropriate oh, I'm sure. whatever it was that he was doing. So he'd clearly forgotten what he was supposed to do. So it was already like a a comical thing to have said (laughs) anyway, because there was no, I'm sure he was probably being reminded by like some poor aide, like every 30 seconds that he was supposed to be fist bumping people. Right. Which is a ridiculous thing to be doing. Not a thing that he looked cool doing, by the way. No. And that's where things went wrong. That's right. Because obviously, we all know, probably now at this point, that he did indeed fist bump the crown prince. MBS. Yes. And that didn't go great. Didn't and go the great. Thi- like, I'm imagining this it's conversation. An episode of it's an absolute episode. I'm imagining specifically the abortion episode. Yes. Where they have the whiteboard and mm-hmm. they have all of the different things 
that she could say. And they're spouting off every single thing that means nothing. And they're crossing things off and they're adding new ridiculous ideas. And, and then they finally settle on something that like is completely ridiculous and think that they've fucking nailed it. Right. <laughs> right. Like, that's exactly what happened here. They went over fist bumps. They went over They were like, uh, what are all the ways it. that you he can greet somebody? He could just bow to him, like, right. just to <laughs> surprise him and catch him off guard. They thought of every... There was no bad idea right. in the room. And they finally settled on fist bumping, thinking that, like, that would do it. We got it. We found the perfect <laughs> we match. We did it. Of intimacy and not intimacy. Right, exactly. Except they didn't, because these are all people that don't know that you fist bump... With your pals. You only fist bump a close friend. With your homies. That's right. That's who you're fist bumping with. Yeah. And so then he fist bumps MBS and the fallout is swift. (laughs) I mean, I was thinking about this actually because one thing that I feel like always grates me about Cory Booker is that Uh, he's a guy who fist bumps everyone. Yeah, he's just too casual with everyone. He's doing it to feign intimacy with people. Totally. When I, I have, you know, I have been watching Senate votes for the 9-11 health bill and he fist bumps the pages on his way and he fist bumps other members. Like he's just fist bumping all the people. Right. And the yeah, reason- it's to endear himself to, to them. Inde- it's to look like he has some kind of relationship with them. That is the messaging of fist bumping. It's like yeah. no one even thought to call Cory Booker famous fist bumper to be like, why do you do this? <laughs> right. What does it show when you, what? It's interesting that they landed on this too because Fox News spent years talking about Obama's um, terrorist fist bumping. That's right. Lest we forget, this is an actual terrorist fist bump. It was a literal terrorist <laughs> fist bump. <laughs> I mean, guys, think, guys, put put your thinking caps on. No, they Good. put their thinking caps on. This <laughs> is what their thinking caps result in. They thought too much. This is why we're. They overthought I, I, this. This is a this is a metaphor for. Just, I feel like where at we're this at. point, just fucking shake his hand. At least that's what business Hello. people do. People are shaking hands of people they hate all over the place. Right? It's like, then you're at least doing the thing that you do with other world leaders. Right. Right? Like, sure, he's a, you know, yeah. murdering, Is he a terrorist? You know, whatever. Sure, sure. Yeah, right? But, like, oh, but listen, so weird. He had just probably hugged Bibi Netanyahu. He's not above hugging problematic world leaders. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not above all. shaking hands with problematic world leaders. No. He's a man who has hands shook with the best of them. Yeah. But this... It... Did, did not go great for him. The imagery was not what they had hoped. No. They look like they're two frat bros finally getting to see each other yeah, after, totally. you know, after brunch. And, and people really went in. And people, not just like, you know, not just lefties. No. Every, by the way. Adam I, Schiff. Adam Schiff. I, the, the, the CEO of the Washington Publisher and CEO of the Washington Post, Fred Ryan, said it projected a level of intimacy and comfort that delivered to MBS the unwanted redemption that he has been des- desperately seeking. Uh, I think he said it was, sh- oh, he said it was shameful. He said it was worse than a handshake, which was, <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. But like they could have just known that it was going to be worse. Than, they could have just asked anyone. They couldn't <laughs> have known, Brent, because they don't ask people things. Yeah. but um, All Kishoji, of their ideas come right. from themselves. Khashoggi's fiance tweeted a photo of, tweeted the photo of the fist bump and said, hey, at POTUS, is this the accountability you promised for my murder? It was from Khashoggi's account. Right, yeah, from his account. He's tweeting from beyond the grave, much like (laughs) Herman Cain and a lot of dead people. Yeah, said, the blood of MBS's next victim is on your hands. I mean, good guy. Yeesh. The Virginia, not um, going well for this. Jerry, Jerry Connolly, the Virginia Democrat who represents the district where Khashoggi was living at the time of his death, said that Jamal Khashoggi, my constituent, was murdered and dismembered at the direction of the Saudi crown prince. This is no time for business as usual. Yeah. Um, God. It, it did not. It, but this is like a level of Veep parody that I can't even. This whole thing felt like it was written for TV. Yes. For a TV comedy about. <laughs> right about what it is to be 
Selena Meyer after she gets elected yeah. president after being Veep and having these kinds of things happen all the time. Totally. I mean, we are living in Veep right now. Yeah. And I want to remind you before, as I've said this before on the podcast, but before we get to a real point, I just want to remind you that Veep was intentionally apolitical. She never belongs to a party in Veep. That's true. And the yeah. reason that this feels so similar is because the kinds of antics that are going on with Biden are the kinds of things that become newsworthy because you're not actually doing anything. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So it is meaningful that he so easily, he's like a parody of a parody that was apolitical in the first place. <laughs> right, I know. I mean, I sa- I've said this a lot about the slogan, Build Back Better, because it's like a collection of words that means yeah, nothing. it's New Selena it's a, Now. It's New Selena Now. Yeah. And I feel like this is even one step further into that territory. <laughs> they just wasted hours of their time coming up with the best way to feign handshaking a terrorist yeah. and a murderer <laughs> yeah. um, and, and then failed at it on a scale that shouldn't have even been possible. Yeah. This scale, this should, if he had shaken his hand, some people would have been like, you shouldn't be talking to that guy. And some people would have been like, you know, wouldn't have noticed it. Right. But this somehow resulted in everyone noticing and disapproving at once. Totally. Yeah, Schiff, I was shocked. I read this and I was like, is this a fake account? (laughs) Is this like Adam Schiff's actual Twitter account? But it was. He said, if we ever needed a visual reminder of the continuing grip oil-rich autocrats have on U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East, we got it today. One fist bump is worth a thousand words. These people are allies of Joe Biden. I mean, that's where we are right now. Yeah. Bernie Sanders wasn't impressed. Yeah. He's never impressed. No, he said the leader of that country who's involved in the murder of a Washington Post journalist, I think... I don't uh, think that type of oh, government yeah. should be rewarded with a visit by the president of the United States. Yikes. Um, in any case, this also led to a second kerfuffle. Right, because now we're in a ridiculous tit for tat because Biden on Friday in a press conference claimed that it was the first thing that he brought up in the, the Khashoggi, meeting with, the, the, was the Khashoggi murder. Yeah. Murder. Right. And so he said that he was like very tough on him. And he and um, MBS said that he was not personally responsible. And Biden said, well, I think that you are. But then... And aid in the room is now claiming that, None of well, that right? An MBS aide. Right. We yeah, should yeah. we should yeah, say yeah, yeah. Cl- is yeah. saying that he didn't hear Biden say anything about Khashoggi's. Yeah. So murder. right now we're in a he said, she said, yeah. or he said he said uh, about whether or not he did the one thing he was there to do. Right. And while I would like to believe in a he said he said, Joe Biden. Sure. Here, Who wouldn't? You know, he's also there fist bumping the guy. So like, it doesn't give me a whole lot of faith that like he's the yeah. one. Everything was mismanaged. I don't see why I would believe all of a sudden that he no. was tough on him. I know. After their jovial fist bump i know and look you might be wondering what he was doing there in the first place because a lot of people were wondering what he was doing there. i well, was among them one of the things that they claimed that they were doing there was to ensure certainly israel probably more than saudi arabia yeah. but like all of them that they weren't going to leave a vacuum that iran could come in and you know they they, 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 they basically like want the middle east to be functioning properly right right and like everybody to be getting along because once it doesn't, like that's when you leave a vacuum for China or Russia or Iran right, right. or whatever. And they have also been really talking a lot about like their continued, you know, desire to have Iran not have a, a nuclear weapon. And then today <laughs> they said that, well, they do. Right. <laughs> or they could make it. They now right. have the technology Iran to actually like, be able to make to it. Us. Right. We can have one. Right. So, oops. Right. Um, you know, that needs to be dealt with. I don't mean to be like glib about Iran having a nuclear weapon because that's not great. No, that's but, real But like bad. when you've, they've... That's the obvious, whole promise that we, you were making Obviously there. they did it to troll him, right? Yeah. They, they waited till he got back home to America and they're like, by the way, we have a nuclear weapon. <laughs> um, 
But additionally, a lot of people were like, maybe he's going there to talk about gas prices. And I think Biden aides actually thought that maybe he could get Saudi Arabia to boost oil production, but that also didn't happen. He's claiming that like they talked about some things and in a couple weeks we're going to see some things. Mm. But like there were no announcements made in a way that like often you know, when you have a meeting of world leaders like this, like you've probably already talked about some things, right? right. And then you go, the reason that you're going there is because you're going to make some joint announcement, right? Yeah, like, you only talk, they have telephones. <laughs> right, they don't right, need exactly. to be in the same room to have a meeting. Yeah. We all have Zoom. Yeah. Saudi Arabia has the internet. Like, so yeah. I, I feel like the only reason you go there is to do a photo op together yeah. and then announce a thing. Right, so, so by all accounts, he went there, made a fool of himself, did a terrorist fist bump, pissed off large swaths of humanity, really, Everyone. not just Americans, yeah. members of his own party, members of the own his own wing of that party. So no notes. <laughs> just perfect execution. No notes for me. Nailed it. Perfect execution. <laughs> First trip to the Middle East. Nailed. Got it. <laughs> Moving on. That's right. Did everything you would ever have expected him to do. This guy. This, this guy. is th- yet again another thing that he should be getting right. With all of this fucking experience that they promised us? Right. Foreign policy experience, if we can remember back to the many times that he has run for president, this was it. This was why he was added That's to right. Obama's ticket. That's right. I mean, the, the purported we, reason. Right. Oh, I think we, we, we talked we many know. times about what the reason yeah. was. But um, yeah, like this is this is his jam. I know. Supposedly. I would contend that if this is how he handles his jam, we really should not have expected better for him on the domestic <laughs> policy front. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I think we've learned an important lesson here about yeah. uh, points of reference yeah. and knowing how someone handles their jam <laughs> so that you can figure out whether they can handle things mm-hmm. that aren't their jam. Yeah. But anyway, give the military more money. Well, we did it, so <laughs> don't worry about it. The one thing we have successfully accomplished... Bipartisanship, guys. Bipartisanship at work. We really did We it. got the military as funded as they could ever need to be. By a vote of 329 to 101, we gave the military $37 billion more than they wanted. That's right. Well, they needed it, Brent, because we want them to feel that they're valued. <laughs> Interestingly, it's the one time Joe Manchin hasn't worried much about government spending. <laughs> no, we heard nothing from him. He's happy to just right. go along to get he was, along. He was talking about government spending this week. All week, in fact. <laughs> but yeah, we'll get there in a second. Yeah, uh, but not about this. This is fine. This is totally normal. So All good. Regular, guys. total, totally regular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, you might be thinking to yourself, well, with the world ending, at least maybe the Democrats have a shot at keeping the House and the Senate. And if you're thinking that, you might want to consult some of the recent polls that, we've, that have been showing that that's really not the case. Yeah. Um, you would think that given how just like balls to the wall crazy that Republicans have been of late, including endorsing coups, um, <laughs> that maybe there would be some polling that shows that Democrats are like looking good for November. Yeah. And instead what we're finding is that among registered voters, the Democrats have a one point advantage uh, for Congress. And then among likely... Re- that has tightened, I think. Tightened in the way that I think that they were actually losing that recently. Yes. It's not great, though. Because usually when you ask the generic question, the Democrats are ahead by, by a, like million, a million, point. a million yeah. points. And then you get into, you know, specific races right. and that goes Turns downhill from that point because they've nominated terrible people. Right. But they anyway, can They on. can actively <laughs> lose better than anyone. Um, and then among likely voters, Republicans were leading by one point. Yeah. So that's great news. And during these times, in the, but we don't need to explain to you why, um... 
they also, this is, I think, what is actually interesting. This was a New York Times uh, Siena National Survey. And I think the thing, the, the point to me that most uh, explicitly stood out was that Democrats had a larger share of support among white college graduates than among non-white voters. The party is becoming a party of the elite. We know that. We've been t- but we've been talking about it. We've been talking about it nonstop. The PMC. But, that's right. <laughs> the PMC. Um, but I, I feel like this, this slipping of uh, vote um, of, of, of share of non-white voters and it sort of instead being filled in by white college graduates is a sign of how poorly the party is serving. Anyone. Well, anyone, because right. there, Certainly working people. Working I mean, people. If there's one group of people that exists pretty comfortably inside of the system, it's white college graduates. That's the people. Doing great out there. Of anyone. I mean, are they even doing great? Not really. Well, no, but, but I, I mean, mean like, yes, right. but I mean, of the people that you might think are doing great, they're doing the best. Yeah. And so once you, once you're watching your support among the people who are already invested in the system as it is grow and your support among anyone who might wish that the system changes slightly to better address their needs diminish, well, what that- you're watching is yourself becoming the party of the status quo. Right. You're watching yourself become a part, the party of the system. And this is why I think it's important, the thing that we were talking about a few weeks ago about them being essentially, you know, truthers for the system, them, yeah. them being the flat earthers of the system. Yep. Because what that this is the this is how it gets reflected in the electorate. You you start to gain share among the kinds of people who are invested in the status quo, right. and, and you lose the, share among and, everyone and else. Who, and who the system mostly works for. Mostly, exactly. Yeah, who would rather the system stay, stay as, as it as is than ha- face un you know the unknown. Right. These are the the status quo people. The status quo people. Yeah. And the party is becoming the party of the status quo. Yeah. And they're. In, and I, you know, I would argue, as I did several weeks ago, that that is a conspiracy theory that they're essentially gripping yeah. on, gr- gripping yeah. onto, because we know that the system's not working. We know that changes are required in the system. <clears throat> and the problem that we're seeing now is the, the party that is reflecting a need for change at the moment is actually the Republican Party. Now, if you're someone who knows a lot about policy, you know that they're being fucking insane. Right. But if you're somebody who's just like voting according to your feelings, you can see why we're losing share of the vote to a bunch of raving populists who are raving about nonsense. Totally. Because they are reflecting the need for change in a way that we're not. Yeah. And that's blowing my mind. I know. It's wild. And it's why you see the left getting so worked up at the middle. And it's why the middle is so... I would contend the most infuriating part of yeah. the political system at the moment. Yeah. Because you cannot talk to those people. No. no you know? You They're so know. deeply committed to the system that we're not even talking about the same goals. No. There are plenty, and I have said this for years where, you know, when I, I have a perfect score as a Lyft passenger back when I wasn't <laughs> boycotting Lyft, but I often find myself talking to drivers who are Trump voters. And I often find that I have really interesting conversations with them. And not because they're not problematic people. Of course, they're being problematic people. <laughs> but because both of us share a desire for the system to change in a way that I just don't find along, among a lot of my peers, a lot of my friends. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there need to be some dramatic changes made to how we even conceive of the system. And often Trump voters are willing to cede that. Now, we don't want the same changes. And I get that. Yeah. But and I, the changes they want are not changes I'm willing to support for the sake of change. Yeah. However... I think that if you have no one on the left reflecting those of us that see that there is a need for change, this is the kind of trend that you're going to keep finding. Yeah. And there aren't, listen, you guys, no one can afford college. There aren't enough white college-educated voters to keep fascists out of office. And they are the fascists. Right. Well, I was going to say, right. 
and, and the non-white voters have been the base. Yes. So, so that's that's also troubling because, like, Very. not only is this a recipe for, you know, I mean, I just don't like what the party is becoming, but it's also a recipe for the party to become the minority party until the end of days. Yeah, to become the losing party. Yeah. And this is happening despite the fact that the actual positions that the party theoretically advocates are becoming more popular. That's how bad the Democrats are right now at messaging. Right. Well, that's because I think notably because like they have done literally none of those things. Right. Their their actions are speaking louder than their words finally. Um, And for years we've been saying that your actions do not match your words. And currently I think more people are like, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) Now we're in a crisis and you're still doing nothing. So, but like we're living in a world in which you know, the right to have an abortion is more popular than it's ever been. And we're losing that right. And the Democrats claim that they, you know, stand with us in wanting to support people's ability to get reproductive health care. And they're not doing shit about yeah. it. Yeah. Like the, the positions that Democrats advocate are getting more popular. Yeah. And they are somehow losing a share of the vote in the process. Yeah. Well, and I think that becomes even more scary when we talk about what our next story is. Yeah. And we t- talked about it a little bit last week, but the story is about all of the ways that the Dems are meddling in in GOP races. We talked about it in some of the June 28th primaries on last week's podcast, but yeah. there's some upcoming primaries um, this week, actually, um, at least yeah. in Maryland. Uh, um, I think, or no, maybe that's August 2nd. I can't remember. They're coming up soon. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. And when you think about the Democrats' election prospects, and then Such you also think about the fact that Democrats are building up, you know, uh, 2020 election deniers, uh, Trump Republicans, because they think that those people are more beatable. Well, they are only more beatable if you have people that are willing to vote for you. That's right. And right now... You don't. You don't. So, like, we're looking in Arizona, and which is already tight, right? I mean, that was very close right. in 2020. This is a midterm. That's not a slam dunk that a Democrat is going to win the governor's race there. So the idea that you, as the Democratic Governors Association, would spend money to prop up the nuttiest person to run against, I just don't know, guys. This is also an example of a time that people should mind their business. <laughs> Let the Republicans sort out how crazy they want to be. <laughs> no, exactly. You sort out how crazy you want to be. I would yeah. say go crazier on your end. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. If you think that, you know, populist craziness is what's getting in the votes, look yeah. inward and I wonder whether right. you're doing any campaigning that matters. <clears throat> right. Well, and that's what I just don't think that they're thinking about the big picture here as they no. do this because I would contend that in a year that didn't feel like such a disaster for Democrats... Like that, this might be, this might be smart, sure. right? We've yeah. seen this work. Yeah, we talk about it all the time, right? Like, I mean, it's Claire McCaskill famously, but Todd it's worked Aiken, other yeah. times too, yeah. right? So it's not insane. But basically, what's going on in Arizona is you have this woman named Carrie Lake, and she's running against this woman Robson, somebody. Oh, uh, Corinne Taylor Robson, right. right? And Carrie Lake is a nutbag, yeah. But and she had been way ahead, but then it started to tighten very recently, because like statewide and national GOP figures have coalesced around Corinne Taylor Robeson. Right. So as it started to get closer, the Democrats thought to themselves, well, we'd rather run against Carrie Lake. So they put out a statement and they said, as the Republican primary for governor continues to stir toxic infighting, the Arizona Democratic Party will always be grateful for Robson's longtime support in helping elect Democrats up and down the ballot, including this November, because she's apparently given money to Democrats right. before. So of course... Uh, Carrie Lake, the nutbag, 
jumps on this, which is what they wanted her to do. That's the whole point of doing it. She's talking about it in all of her rallies. She's got all of her people out there talking about it in all of her rallies and anytime they're being interviewed by anybody. And like they're calling, you know, robes and a rhino and doing all the things that you would do. This is so catty too. I know. Well, that's what I said. I was like, in a year where I felt like this would be like... Right, the Helpful, world wasn't ending. In a way, I would be like, well, this is a delight. Right, in a year where <laughs> Democrats were running on literally anything. Right. This is a level right. of trolling that I am here for, guys. Right. But I just have a lot of concerns about who's going to win this election. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it makes me a little nervous. Meanwhile, in Maryland, the Democratic Governors Association has spent more money on TV than either of the leading GOP candidates. <laughs> I, guys. <laughs> They're trying to boost this guy, Dan Cox, who's who was another election denier who's yeah. been endorsed by Trump. Because right now, Larry Hogan, who's a sort of moderate-esque, anti-Trump right. Republican, is the outgoing governor. And that's a pretty blue state, but he has yeah. sort of... like, And he's still well-liked. Yeah. So I think they the person that he has endorsed, Hogan has endorsed, I think is actually winning there. But the Democrats would rather run against this Trump goon. But this again, is, like... Remember guys, what happened in Virginia. This does not always work out the way that you want it to. I know, exactly. And we should talk just very briefly about the Democratic primary in Maryland. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because that's kind of wild. Because mess. Tom Perez right. is running. First which of all, is not go great. home, Tom go Perez, home, forever. Right. But he's running against this guy, Wes Moore, who's like this best-selling author and television host who was endorsed by Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> like, he wrote a book, a book that she endorsed, and then, like, she gave him a show on, on OWN. No. And so she's endorsed him, and it's a dead heat right now. But, like... They're both sort of questionable people as, I mean, listen, uh, anybody that Oprah has like given a show right. is like somebody I think that we can all just like generally agree should not be running a state or It's why I said anything. that she should not, people should not have a, gravitate to her for president. For president. Remember when people, and she I was got, like, listen, is she a great talk taste. show host? Sure. Yeah. But does that mean that you should be the president ever? Right. No. Right. Because he is a person who has sort of like. Maybe, I think he's like an Iraq war vet or Afghanistan war vet or whatever, but like has been, I think people have like said in interviews to him that he like won a bronze star and he like didn't correct them. And like there's various things about like his own resume that have gone sort of, of like maybe unchecked are. by him. Right. And then because he's an inspirational figure. Right. Exactly. And the last job that he had was the CEO of the Robin Hood Foundation, which is an anti-poverty organization in New York. And he was paid 100 or 100, excuse me, one million dollars a year. As How do I get that nonprofit person. job? I know. I mean, exactly. Jesus. But Tom Perez is out here claiming that he's from the GSD wing of the party, I, which is the get stuff done wing of the party. Sir, you are absolutely not. <laughs> do not make. Nobody in the wing of the party that is currently running the country can claim to be from the get stuff done wing of Certainly the party. Certainly not. <laughs> I am struggling to find a wing of the party that I would describe that way. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, this is not it. No. So but and that's going to be wild. Maryland's wild. But like I think that we have to really be, you know, I'm it makes me I'm already scared for November because I don't yeah. think it's going to be great. So the idea that in states all across the country we're we just have, actively campaigning to make it worse. We have been propping up these people who like will come 2024 will willingly just say that the presidential election was stolen if a democrat wins again and well, like it's, 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 it's not a, good, It you guys. seems riskier than in past years where we have taken on the same yeah. tactic. I feel like part of... It goes along with the sort of 
bigger issue that we're talking about here, which is just that those in leadership are not treating this moment like a crisis, but the rest of us are feeling it like a crisis. So they're sort of business as usualing their way through this campaign yeah. as if this is a normal moment to have a campaign. Right. And yeah, so right. the rest of us, it's like watching a slow motion car crash because those of us on the ground who live in society <laughs> are like, well, wait a minute, all the rules have changed. Yeah. And you're just like acting like the world is normal and also like, like it's not actually catastrophic if these kinds of Republicans get elected in office at, yeah. at varying levels of government. But we're seeing how catastrophic at the moment it actually is. Yeah. Like we are finally getting payoff for how catastrophic we said it might be. Right. And like instead Democratic leadership is just like bumbling around like it's any Tuesday and you know <laughs> they can just like hang out and try to get Todd Akin to be the candidate for every office on earth. And like that strategy carries risk right. you know. have to know if todd aiken does by some chance get elected that you have the votes to make sure he's irrelevant right. and you are never going to be able to know that in this environment no you know it's 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 the same risk we took with donald trump yeah where we totally. you know and and we the rules changed when it turned out that donald trump could be the president yeah we we did exactly this literally exactly yeah. this yeah. and we got burned Yep. And now we're like, well, let's not change any of our strategies. I know. We'll just exactly. continue on we'll as if everything's always worked this way. Well, and especially in Arizona, the more I think about it, specifically based on that poll that you were just talking about, non-white voters right. are at the heart of who's going to hope to elect a Democrat in, That's right. in, uh, in that state. And like, you know, guys. <laughs> doing everything you can to alienate non-white voters Yikes. or any voters who just like having ideas. I, you know, I mean... Just any voters who have who have hopes for oh, themselves or their good. society, it's makes not me, good. Makes me very nervous, especially in a world where you know, post row, it's really it's really governors that are yeah. going to be you know the last hope to be able to you know stop. Yeah, this is not a time to do risky maneuvering in the governor's race, you guys. No. It's not the time. It's not. Um, meanwhile, oh speaking of the get stuff done wing of the party, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're currently having a little bit of an issue because, and I finally read something that I think articulates the issue with how we've approached Joe Manchin from the beginning. Yes. This was Which is, yes. Yeah. Joe Manchin has been true to whatever he said in public about his priorities for the most part this whole time. The problem is they keep having closed door meetings with him where they think they've gotten special concessions from him. And then he just is lying to their face and doesn't yeah. doesn't do those things. Right. This is so, why this is why all of his colleagues are saying that he's not negotiating in good faith. He's not. He's because negotiating he's, he's with the media not. in good faith, in yeah. the sense that he's telling us what he thinks. Yeah. But he's not telling them what he thinks. No. And so somehow their insider knowledge is working against them right now. And yeah. this is actually the same thing that happens with Donald Trump, which is why I bring this up. Yeah. Donald Trump is somebody who I have said many times on this podcast always tells you what's on his mind. Now, sometimes it's so crazy that you're like, surely he can't be telling the truth. But I promise you, he always is. It's just that his mind works in mysterious ways and you're yeah. not, it's not always following a logical through line. And so you had, you know, you got to worry about that. Yeah. But like Donald Trump tells the public what he's thinking at all times. Yeah. He's very, he's an open book. Mm -hmm. What he's thinking is insane. And so Sometimes people have closed door meetings with him where he lies to their face and they're like, surely he's telling me the truth because what he said in public doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> but that's not it. Yeah. He's only truthful with the public. He's never truthful behind closed doors. He's not truthful in a one to one. He, he'll lie yeah. to your face. Yeah. He doesn't lie in a speech because he's talking yeah. off the top of his head. He can't yeah. lie. The other th yeah, totally. The other thing that I think that Democrats would be smart to stop doing is to 
say what Joe Manchin did tell them yes. in a closed door meeting. Certainly. Even if at the time Joe Manchin said, we can go talk about this meeting to the press. Because what he doesn't want is for whoever it is to be like Joe Manchin said X, Y, or Z. Because he doesn't want that to be known because he probably didn't mean it. Exactly. So like, but that sets him off. Like whenever, Mm -hmm. whenever anybody's out there and it's like, well, Joe Manchin said we could do trillion dollars for X, Y, Z. He will find the nearest camera and be like, I didn't say that. Even though he probably did. I'm sure he did. So just don't say that he said it. (laughs) Don't worry about what he said in a closed door meeting. Listen to what he's saying to the cameras. Yeah. And work with that understanding. And also don't say what he told you. Because that, I think, that seems to set him off. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And they do it again and again and again. Yeah. And it's like, once it's a pattern that Brent and I can see, then it should be a pattern that people who talk yeah. to him professionally yeah. can see, but yeah. here we go. Anyway, this week, to... Right. I to, think, to, clar- to clarify why we're ranting yeah, exactly. about this. He said that he doesn't, is not going to vote on a party-line proposal to address climate change that some you know, Democrats have been hopeful that they were going to be able to like, include in this you know, sort of still slimmed down, you know, right. build back better thing that they're supposedly still talking about that they want to get passed before the midterms. Right. So he's not going to do that, but he said that he would back a bill that focused solely on healthcare measures like prescription drug prices. Right. So obviously Joe Biden told him that he was going to remove him from his committee chairmanships, right? Obviously. (laughs) As a threat to get him in line to vote with the party. Clearly. (laughs) No, he didn't. He said, just do whatever Joe Manchin wants. Yeah. Quite literally said, do whatever Joe Manchin wants. That's right. (laughs) Joe Manchin, the president of the United States. Yeah. He told Democrats to to vote on whatever it is. We're talking about a man from one of the smallest states in the union. One of the most irrelevant uh, economic states in the union. Yeah. And yet, he's now currently the president. Right. Other things Democrats wanted in this, they wanted climate, they wanted tax increases on wealthy earners, tax increases on corporations, they wanted the child tax credit increase or extension uh, uh, made permanent or at least extended. Can't have it if that's not what Joe Manchin wants, you guys. Can you believe that we let that expire? That... I mean, of all things... We set ourselves up, too. I feel like... I feel like people aren't asking about that specifically in polls. I feel like that's going to be a thing that we look back on in as one two of the years, five greatest years, ten political years, blunders 50 of years, modern history. As something that, like, that level of money that was going to people, which Joe Manchin, I'm sure, thinks is what's causing inflation, Obviously. is literally one of the things that, like, lost them. Yeah. Maybe some of these non-white voters, some of these poor voters, some of these people, some of these working class voters. I would guarantee that a group of voters that is not interested in them right now is parents. Yep. To any of the parents. Yep. Being a parent didn't do child care. Sucks right now. Uh, didn't do any. Didn't do any of those things. Didn't do family leave. Nope. No, and even and healthcare is just getting more expensive. So I mean, what you know? What's really expensive is taking care of the health of a child. They're sick constantly. So wild. No, and it's, awful. It's, it's a level just, of incompetence that actually like is staggering enough that's that what I'm even saying. It's I like, wouldn't really, have anticipated yeah, it. I feel like Biden. historians will be like the yeah. the letting that expire was ultimately his downfall in a way that I don't know that people are sort of putting together right now. I totally agree. I mean, did we expect him to be this bad at the job? I don't know. He's really bad at being the president. He's really bad at being the president. It's not good. Yeah. Interestingly, other members of the Senate now, people that I had forgotten existed, who are not Bernie Sanders, are saying that maybe he should not be the head of the Energy and National Resource Committee. Martin Heinrich, forgot about that guy. Every time. New Mexico said, it makes me question why he's chair of ENR. So that's a wild situation. But also, I feel like we should really quickly talk about whether they're actually going to be able to get this slimmed down thing that focuses just on healthcare 
and prescription drug costs. We can talk about it, but the answer is no. Anyway, well, that's what I was going to say. First (laughs) off, for the reasons that you stated about whether Joe Manchin is telling the truth at any given moment, I feel like we shouldn't be taking him at his word on this anyway, although I do think that he said this in public. Of course. <laughs> that he would that he would pass uh He did. Um, I remember yeah. him saying this. That's not Yeah. That doesn't that's the, yeah. the the question is about sort of like his priorities in the moment. And he'll tell you his priorities in the moment. Yeah, exactly. But there's the clock is really ticking here. Because sure they're about to go on recess, right? Right. Nobody works in August because there's Nobody, no emergency right. here. There's, there's an August recess, which gives them September, essentially. Yeah. Biden has told them to get something passed before they go home. But that's literally like a week. Yeah, they're not going to do gives that. gives them next week. Yeah. So that's not going to happen. So they also, literally he's been have, so influential in the past right. with these kinds right. of right. ultimatums. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they literally only have September because October 1st is, I think, because it's the end of the fiscal year, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I didn't yeah, look up sense. why. Yeah, well, because remember when but they always have to the, pass budgets in the fall. Right, exactly. That's the last... August 1st is the last day that they can pass something through reconciliation in the 50-50 Senate, at least before the mid October 1st. October not, 1st, sorry. Yeah. Right. Thankfully, so they, not August 1st. So they're going to go on recess, and they are going to have only the month of September to pass what, even though is will be very trimmed down, is going to be fairly expensive. Right. Right? And, like, you've got people who are going to be worried about their midterms, talking about spending. You've got... People already worried about inflation. Yeah. Joe Manchin himself. And it gives it... Is Joe Manchin really going to pass something that's probably going to be close to a trillion dollars? I would assume if of it's going to be... Although I think it's supposed to be like budget neutral because they're claiming that like they're going to let... They're going to save money because Medicare is going to be able to... Um, and negotiate, negotiate prescription prices. and and it will. it will like that will be correct but like there's going to be other it's a spending bill ultimately yes <laughs> so i um, i just also I have questions about whether they pass it he's going to have a month to himself to think totally. about how much he's not well, going he's going to go home to and talk to his constituents who are worried about the price of that's milk that's right right that's right and like so and we can't so, so we can't save them money on prescription no. drugs because <laughs> of inflation brent it's inflation because now he's suddenly very concerned about inflation and yeah. he's uh He's subscribing to the school of thought where we all have to be poor and unemployed in order to combat That's inflation. That's how you fix inflation, is to starve everyone to death. <laughs> That's right. So um, his version of uh, dealing with the bread and butter concerns of his constituents is going to look a little different than what you might, <laughs> might hope. Yeah. It's, it's just... Also, yeah. I feel like their complete inability to rein him in is having blowback that is going to make it impossible for them to do things that should be no-brainers, like codifying Roe. Something that's yeah. a clear political win that has doesn't cost them anything. It's like yeah. a silly thing to do. Um, or a silly thing to not do. Yeah. Because in the same way that we watched two people at the grocery store today have a conversation about how bad COVID was right now without masks on, <laughs> groupthink is a thing in Congress. And the more that you validate the Joe Manchin list of priorities, the more that it's okay for other problematic Democrats to embrace their problematicness. It's why we're always two vote shorts and not well, one. Well, that's what I was going to say. You People know? keep talking about this, like, just give us two more senators, give us three more senators. Let me tell you what we're happens. We're two vote short forever, you guys. I was going to say, let me tell you what happens when that happens. Somebody claims that they then have enough votes to overturn the filibuster. Both Manchin and Cinema leave the party, which they've threatened to do. Right. Well, I don't think Cinema has threatened to do before, but she's best friends with Mitch McConnell. Yeah, and then, and then we have to remember that John Tester is also terrible. Right. Right. So, like, yes. Uh, There's never. We are perpetually and forever two votes short, and that's because of our governing philosophy. It's yeah. not because of anything having to do with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. Yeah. And we're going to be perpetually two votes short for all of time. And the reason we're never one vote short, and we're always two vote shorts is because every idiot can find a friend. <laughs> we were right. two vote short when we had 60 fucking senators. Yeah, exactly. 
We didn't pass a public option in the ACA because of, we were two votes short. Yeah. We had 60 senators at that time. <laughs> like, we're never not two votes short. And what's interesting and mathematically impossible is that Mitch McConnell's never two votes short. Nope. The man has the two votes he needs every single time. Mm -hmm. So this is about governing Sometimes philosophy and short, strategy. short because of Rand Paul. That's which, true. As you said, anybody can find a friend. And makes, Mike Lee. Oh, oh I was going <laughs> to say. Can, Rand Paul can find Mike Lee when some, he needs a friend. Sometimes he can't, but sometimes he can't, which what I was going to say was, which oh, really right. lets you know how crazy Rand Paul is. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> he can't find a friend. But I mean, like, we, the, the reason that Joe Manchin, that two senators is not the answer, and I have had to say this to more people on Twitter than I would like, oh, I is because there are like seven problematic senators hiding <laughs> behind those two right now. Totally. And those senators right now are feeling like it would be too risky to come out as as terrible as they really are. Yeah, exactly. But as soon as that is a thing that you can do, yeah. or as soon as something's on the line and they're about to be blamed for something, yeah. they'll find the guts. <laughs> they'll find the guts. Yeah. You know, they'll they'll bend Nelson themselves when they need to. Totally. So, yeah. like, this philosophy is the problem. The, the, yeah. the way that we govern is the problem. The fact that we are letting Joe Manchin set the terms yeah. is the problem. Yes, exactly. We have tools to ensure that it is worth his while to stay in the party and to shut the fuck up about these kinds yeah. of things. And we don't exercise those because yeah. we're worried that he'll, what, criticize us, that he'll leave the party? I mean, we're worried about things that are making it impossible to pass our agenda because at least if he left the party, we could be like, we really do need two senators. <laughs> right, you know? Exactly. That's true. <laughs> like, I, but I mean, like, we're, we don't have anything with him in the party anyway. No, I know. Yeah. In any case, I don't have time right now for us to be kowtowing to the Joe, to the Joe Manchin version of events. Yeah. I, I say, A, go harass him on his houseboat anytime. Yep. He's mad that people grab have been kayak. protesting at his houseboat and grab a kayak and get out there. Yep. If you like water sports, and I don't, so I probably <laughs> won't be out there. If you like water sports, this is an opportunity for you to not only enjoy your passion, but yeah, also do something good for society. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And so, and that's what, like, that's what we were talking about last week with my mom. You know, get out there and come up with creative yeah, ways start a kayaking group to, to go. combine your passions with political yeah. action. Yeah. If you love kayaking, there's an opportunity for you right yeah. now. Mm -hmm. If you love biking, can probably there's a lot of biking members of Congress. You can probably harass and them on a bike. Terrible. One yeah. is the president. Exactly. Like, <laughs> go bother people. Yeah, him on a bike. Who cares? Yeah. But like, you know, if you if you're somebody who likes road trips, there's places to road trip to. It, there's something for everyone. <laughs> yes. And we recommend getting involved in one of those things. Anyway, <sighs> that's the news this week. That's it. Listen, you guys, Thursday, be there or be sad that you missed one of the greatest emerging political gossip moments of this century. Yeah. If you don't, if something crazy happens like the mo the Butterfield moment that my mom described you're gonna and you watch it. didn't watch it live, you are going to hate yourself for that. That's so right. make sure you're watching it live. Yeah. Um, and... If not, we'll tell you about it next week on the podcast. We might be late next week. Oh, we week. might be, yeah. Nobody knows what's going to happen next week, but just stay tuned. We'll tell you. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk to you whenever we do. <laughs> Bye. Bye.